So we are finishing up our series called Renovate. And it's been a five-week series. And we thought the best way to kick this new ministry off was to explain what it's all about, why we chose this name, and, and how God is actually in the renovation business. He's renovating our own lives. He's renovating our churches and our cities. And tonight we're going to talk about how He's renovating the world through missions. And so I want to kick off tonight by looking at a short video clip. So I tell you what, that every time I watch that video, I get extremely fired up because it is God's mission to renovate this world and to send his people out to make a difference in this world. And what is amazing is it started with 12 men. 
his 12 disciples, and in, less, in, in just 2,000 years, there's 2.1 billion Christians worldwide. And when I look at those quotes from missionaries and, and average people, men and women, what I want to know is what is it in them that a lot of us don't have, that I don't have, that I don't have that motivation to see people's lives changed and that I'm not willing to give up everything to go wherever God sends me so that I can preach the gospel. What did they have? And I think one of the things that they had was they, they really believed in heaven and hell. They really believed that those who die apart from Jesus Christ will go to hell. And it motivated them from the inside that they couldn't stay in their comfort and in their luxury. They gave it all up and went wherever God told them to go. Heaven and hell was real to them and life and death hung in the balance. And as I've been thinking about this passage, there, there's two little girls that I've been thinking about this whole time and that's my two daughters, Rachel and Emily. And when God talks about go, it doesn't always mean go to the ends of the earth. It might just mean go to the room next door and minister to your family and disciple your kids. But when I think about the fact that there is a hell and there is a heaven, all of a sudden, my desire to talk to my kids about Jesus, to tell them about the love of Jesus, and to steer them away from the things of this world, it amps up. It amps up. And so they believed in heaven and hell, and they also believed that they were on mission. And we love to talk about mission statements. We love mission statements, but all of us have one mission statement for sure. And that's in Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. And it's called the Great Commission. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's desire is for us to go and make disciples. God's desire is for us to go share the gospel to people because heaven and hell is in the balance. With your friend that, that's down the hall at your workplace in the cubicle, heaven and hell is in the balance. With, with your family member that does not know Jesus, that hasn't known Jesus for years, that you've wanted to talk to them, but you've never talked to them, heaven and hell is in the balance. And God has commanded us and called us to go and make disciples. Your childhood friend that you've known through all these years who doesn't know Jesus and y'all parted ways, I've, I've parted ways with some of my friends, heaven and hell, life and death is in the balance. Why am I not telling people about the gospel? God's renovation project for this world is that you and me, average Christians, not super Christians, average Christians would go and make disciples. That's the point of the passage. So how do we do it? He gives us three methods. And so tonight I want to talk about three ways to make disciples and three barriers that keep us from making disciples. And so the first one is real simple. He says, go. In the passage, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And if you look at the word in the Greek, number one, it means go in the Greek too. But also it means to be always continually going. 
It's not a one-time deal. It's not, a, I went on a short-term mission trip when I was 14 and I got that out of the way and now I'm done. It is a lifestyle of going is what Jesus is talking about. And one of the, the, the deadest times in my life as a Christian was ironically when I was in seminary. And I've talked about this before. But for about four years, I was in this seminary bubble. That's what we called it. I worked at the seminary full-time. I lived a block away from the seminary. I took a full class load. All my friends were from the seminary. I went to a church in West Fort Worth that had professors and students at the seminary. And I was in this seminary bubble, and I was disconnected from the world, and I wasn't going anywhere to share anything. It's like I was inside the church walls and inside the seminary walls, and, and my faith was, was floundering and struggling. Because all of a sudden I'm reading scriptures and it, it doesn't come to life because there's nothing for me to do with the scriptures. Because a lot of the scriptures are about going and sharing and, and, and sharing your life. And I was just in this circle that everybody believed the same thing. And one of the greatest blessings that happened was that Ari and I were broke. You, you, you want to know why that was a blessing? Because it forced me to take a job at Renafrog Valet. So I'm 29, 30 years old working for Renafrog, which with a bunch of college students or 21, 22 year olds. But you know what it did is it got me outside of the Christian bubble. And I had so much fun working at Renafrog that it was really hard for me to give it up when I got this job. Like I was tempted to go to Bill Egner and say, I'll take the full time job. I know what it requires, but could I keep doing Renafrog on Friday nights and Saturday? But that would have been stupid, and I didn't do that. But I was tempted because it was so much fun, because every time I went out to an event that we were valeting, that we were serving, you know, it was hard work. We'd spend six, seven hours in an event, and we're running around, and we're parking cars, and it was, it was tough work. But I got to have so many conversations about Jesus with people who didn't know Jesus. And what was cool is, is we were all wearing the same purple shirt. So it wasn't the preacher guy coming in talking about Jesus. We were all in the same boat. And so I had that opportunity. And it was such a joy to go and talk about Jesus. And God is calling us to go talk about Jesus. We have to go. We can't just stay inside the church walls. And now for some of you, you're thinking, well, I, I don't feel like I'm called to international missions, okay? So that must be for someone else. Great video, but all those people were missionaries. You know, I know who Amy Carmichael is, and that's not for me. I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go to China. So that must not be for me, but I couldn't disagree more. Some of you are called to go to global missions. I think some of you, God is calling to leave everything behind and go Put yourself in a new culture and give your life away in the Middle East and risk your life. Some of, some of you, God is calling to do that. But I think for the large majority of you, God, I see heads shaking. Not all of you, I'm getting there, not all of you, okay? You'll know it, but um, some of you, God's just calling you to go walk across the room, as Bill Hybels said. He's a pastor in Chicago, huge church. He wrote a book called Just Walk Across the Room. So I think what God's doing with some of you is He's saying, I want you to just go to the, to the cubicle next to yours and talk to that guy or that girl who you know is not a believer and initiate a conversation and talk to them about what God has done in your life. I want you to go 20 feet, not 10,000 miles. And, and for some of you, He's saying, I, I just want you to go talk to your friend 
that you know is not where they need to be, that you know is not following Christ, which, by the way, disciple simply means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means. A disciple follows Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so you're working with someone or you have a good friend that you know is not following Christ and you've had opportunities that God's given you after opportunities that God's given you and something has pulled you back and we're going to talk about some of those things that pull you back later on. But God's just telling you to go. Get outside the church walls. The last thing I want to happen is for us to have so many activities here at Christ Chapel that you're never out in the world meeting people who don't know Jesus. And so we have our Sunday morning service and we have our midweek kind of refuel, which is what Renovate is, and you have your small group, but you have to leave margin to go. And where you go is up to you and God. That's between you and God where you go. And so God has chosen us to go, but God has chosen us to go with a message. And so in verse 19, he says, um, actually in verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then verse 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, and do what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now what I could do at this point is go into a whole lecture about the Trinity and how this verse is very important to our belief in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three gods in one. But I'm not going to do that, although I'm very tempted to do that. What I want to talk about is this concept of baptism, because baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. Okay? And so baptism implies that something changed on the inside. And so at Christ Chapel, what we believe is that you put your trust and faith in Jesus, and then you get baptized. Because baptism is a representation of death and life that has happened on the inside of your heart. So in order for us to be baptizing people all over the world or wherever God takes us, they first have to hear the message of Jesus, right? They first have to repent and believe. And then baptism is an outward sign of that. And so I'm excited. One of our uh, best leaders here at most faithful leaders here with Renovate is getting baptized this weekend. And he's been faithful and he's been a Christian for years and God has brought him to the point where he's like, you know what? I need to follow in obedience and be baptized so that I can show the whole world that I'm a follower of Christ. And so Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So what is the good news? What are we preaching? Because some of you might get in that perfect scenario and then you think, oh, crap, I don't know what to say. You know, what, what exactly is the gospel? What do I need to leave out? What do I need to keep in? What if I say it wrong? What if I'm teaching heresy and I lead them astray? You know, you have a million things going through your mind. So what is it that we're communicating? We're communicating the gospel, which is that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life in our place. He died on the cross for our sins was as a substitute. And then he was buried and rose again on the third day and is reigning in heaven at the right hand of the Father as our King and Lord. And for anyone who puts their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the promise is that you will be saved. That's the message. But that's still scary for some of you. 
So I think a great way when you're in that moment where you finally step out and go and then you're there and you have that opportunity, I think a great way to communicate the gospel is to tell your story, your testimony. And so for every new member at Christ Chapel, we have them fill out a 100-word testimony. For some of you, that turns into a three-page testimony. I've read them. You know who you are. But a 100-word testimony. And it's real simple. You talk about who you were before you met Christ. You talk about how you met Christ. And then you talk about how your life is after you've met Christ. And so for me, real quick, I grew up in a nominal Christian home right here in Fort Worth, Texas. We said our prayers at the dinner table and they were, you know, uh, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, amen. Just the cliched prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's kind of creepy, but that's what we did every night as a kid. <laughs> thinking about death every night before I went to bed. So we had the formal religious um, underpinning in, in our home, but we didn't, Jesus was not the center of our home. Sports was the center of our home. And so I grew up obsessing with sports. And I wanted to be an NFL player in the fall, uh, an NBA player in the, in the winter, and then I wanted to be a, a baseball player in the summer. And I just rotated through that until I picked one. But, but sports was our God and our family. And my grandmother was, was the spiritual rock of our family, and she was such a model of faith. And uh, she, she lost her husband before I was born. He was actually murdered. And so I've known her as a widow my whole life. But I always saw her every night we stayed with her. She'd go to bed and the, the Bible would lay across her. She would read the Bible until she fell asleep. And it just stayed with me. And one time she came into town for a big uh, crusade, Luis Palau crusade. And my whole family went to the Fort Worth Convention Center. And we sat at the very top. And then at the very end he shared the gospel. And I thought he was speaking to me at eight years old. And so I got up and shuffled by my brothers. I have two brothers, and they were probably frustrated because they knew we were going to have to stay there another 15 and 20 minutes because I was going down to the bottom of the floor because Jesus was talking to me. And so I went down there, and I said a prayer with some counselor. I don't even remember who it was, and I asked Jesus into my life. And then it wasn't until I was 18 years old, another 10 years before that whole disciple thing started becoming a reality, before I started thinking, what is it that I'm professing? You know, I started thinking, and I'm like, well, why, why am I calling myself a Christian, and what does that mean? And I started reading and growing, and I read uh, a, a book by a baseball player named Brett Butler, and it changed my life again. Because he was a baseball player, which is what I wanted to be in the major leagues, but all he talked about in his biography was what Jesus had done in his life. And I said, I wanted that. And so at 18 years old, I really started growing in my faith, and that was a huge turning point. But, but what I want to tell you is... After I met Christ, it wasn't like things were smooth sailing. After I met Christ, it was even harder to walk the Christian life than it was before living a moral life. Because I felt attacked. I felt spiritual warfare. I felt a struggle. And then all of a sudden, I didn't like the sin I was doing. And I wanted to stop. And it, it really, I went through some very difficult times in my college years and, and struggles. But all through that time... God was working in my life and there was a new direction. That's what happened after I met Christ. I didn't become perfect. There was a new direction in my life and it was an upward direction with some, some downward peaks. And that was my story and that's how I got here and that's a longer story. But my wife, she grew up in Brazil in a Catholic church and she was super religious and it was a very uh, spiritual family and a lot of superstition and it was mixed in with some of the local 
tribal religion and she had aunts that were spiritists. And so she's described to me times where she accidentally walked into a room where there was a seance going on and people were talking in different voices and it was crazy. And so she grew up in this super spiritual environment that was very works oriented and she'd never heard the gospel. And so she came to America and she to play volleyball and I met her in Natchitoches, Louisiana. I was the FCA director and through FCA she heard the gospel. And we started talking about what the gospel is. That, hey, it's not about what you do. It's what Jesus has done for you and believing in that. And all of a sudden, her eyes started to open and she went to the college athlete retreat in Louisiana and she gave her life to Christ right there at the age of maybe 22, 23. And that was the beginning of a change in her life and it wasn't an easy change and there was still baggage from her past and just like there was baggage from my past. But, but who's the hero in both of those stories? It's Jesus. And what is clearly explained in that, that, that I didn't save myself, Jesus saved me by what he did on the cross. So everybody loves a story. So when you get in those moments where you, you don't know what to share, just speak your heart and, and share your story of what Jesus has done in your life. So we, we have to share. The blind man in John 9 he was blind, and then Jesus healed him, and he went in, and, and the religious leaders got mad at him, and they're like, who healed you? He said, I don't know. And they said, well, how? He, he said, I don't know what happened. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. And it happened because of some guy named Jesus. That's sharing your testimony. We used to be blind, and then we met Jesus, and now we see spiritually, and we've begin, been given a new life. So we've got to go and we've got to share. But then there's one more thing we've got to do and that's teach. And that's in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe, or in the NIV, obey all that I've commanded. So are you teaching them information only? Is it, is it just about, okay, you've, you've gone and you've shared your, your testimony, you've shared the gospel, and they've said, I want to believe. I believe and I trust and now what do you do? This is somebody who's come out of a whole different world and they don't know where the books of the Bible are and they don't know how to pray and they don't know am I supposed to go to church or what do I do? What do you do? Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded, all my commandments. You see, the Christian life is not about gaining more information. Some of you in here think that you're more mature because you have more Bible uh, verses memorized. But I, I, would, I would suggest to you that the person who has ten verses memorized and is obedient to three of them is, is more mature than the person who knows 200 verses and doesn't obey any of them. Because the Christian life is not about head knowledge. It's about transformation from the heart, from the inside. There's a great quote from a guy named J.C. Ryle who was a pastor in England in the 19th century. And he said... Let us beware of an unsanctified knowledge of Christianity. It is a dangerous possession, but a fearfully common one in these latter days. We may know the Bible intellectually and have no doubt about the truth of its contents. We may have our memories well stored with its leading texts and be able to talk glibly about its leading doctrines. And all the time the Bible may have no influence over our hearts and our wills and consciences we may in reality be nothing better than the devils. Because even the de demons know who God is and what God's done. It's not about head knowledge. Remember the twelve disciples? What happened to one of them? 
Yeah, he didn't, he didn't make it. And it's interesting in a passage in, in, in Matthew 26. It didn't go well for Judas. That's who we're talking about. So of the twelve, there was one who, who, who got all the knowledge. I mean, he, he lived with Jesus for three and a half years. He knew everything that Jesus said. He was there for all the parables. He was there when Jesus explained all the parables. He was present. He was involved. He was at all the meetings with Jesus. He knew everything. And it says this. It's so interesting in Matthew 26. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Matthew 26, 20 to 26, they're all sitting at the table with Jesus. It's the night before he's, he's going to be arrested. And Jesus says that one of you is going to betray me. Man, I'd have felt so nervous at that table if Jesus called out, if I was one of the disciples, that one of you is going to betray me. And I would be thinking, man, it can't possibly be me, which is what they all said. But, but listen to the language they use. Everyone at the table except Judas, uh, except Judas said, Surely not I, what? Lord. But Judas said, Surely not I, teacher. You see, Judas had been with Jesus that whole time, and he always thought of Jesus as just a good teacher. He had a lot of knowledge. He was a wise man. He, was, he maybe was even a prophet. And I love what he's saying. And I love storing up this knowledge. But Judas never accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Just as a good teacher. And I hate to say it, but in our culture that we live in here in the Bible Belt, we have got a lot of people that know a lot about Christianity, about the Bible, and go to church and do all the right things. And they know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Just like you can know a lot about a former president and never have met the president and be friends with the president. Some of you have information, but you've never been transformed. You've never said, Jesus, I, I don't want to just have the name Christian. I want to be a follower of you. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, and my King and I want you to come into my heart and change my heart. And until you do that, all you have is head knowledge. And head knowledge doesn't save you. It's head knowledge that gets into the heart and it changes you from the inside out. And that's why that passage says, teach them to obey. Not just teach them stuff. Teach them to obey what I've commanded. There was a uh, baseball coach at the University of Florida back when I was in college that was well respected among Christian uh, baseball players. I'm not going to say his name. Maybe some of you might know him. But he was a very successful coach. Um, in fact, I think he took his former team, Pepperdine, to the World Series and very well respected, known around baseball circles as a Christian man. And so I was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals and my roommate in spring training was a pitcher from Florida. And I was a Christian. So the first thing I thought was, man, I want to hear about coach so-and-so because, man, I just heard he's just unbelievable. And the pitcher <laughs> laughed at me when I said that. He said, yeah, everybody thinks that, but it's a joke. He said when he gets in the church and in chapel, he acts a certain way and he says all the right things. But on the baseball field, he's a jerk. He's verbally abusive. He has the worst language I've ever heard in my life. This is a man who professes something, but he hasn't, from all intents and purposes on the outside, hasn't been changed. 
Or at least at that point he hasn't. Maybe he had a long way to go. But my point is, it has to affect the way you live. If you want to make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. In your lifestyle, not just in the words that you say. Do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't work when it comes to the mission of God in this world. It's do as I say and follow my example as I follow Christ. Not perfect, but I'm seeking after Christ as my Lord and Savior. So, that's, that's some heavy stuff, but that's what making disciples is all about. It's all about going and sharing your faith and sharing the gospel. And then when people receive the gospel, now the hard work happens of teaching them to obey all of the commandments that I have given to you. Now, some of you may be asking, what are those commandments? And the great thing is, in a passage in Matthew, and I don't even remember the exact passage. Yeah, it's Matthew 22. Um, uh, a guy goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He was really trying to stump him because there's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. Which one's the greatest? He was trying to stump him. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second like it. And what is that one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commandments. So essentially he was saying, all the Old Testament is summed up in love God and love your neighbor. So what are we teaching people to obey? Not this long list of rules. Not this long list of do's and don'ts. We're teaching people how to love God and love their neighbor. And when a large group of people begin to love God, and as that love of God overflows in their heart and they love their neighbor, it transforms societies and cultures and cities and churches because it's a change in behavior, not just a change in the words that we speak. And so we're teaching people how to love God and love their neighbor. We don't have time to get into all the details of things that you can do to help you grow in your love for God and to help you grow in your love for people. There's a lot of things. We have small groups. We have Life Academy classes. Um, we're we're going to start some things and renovate outside of here. They're going to they're help you understand how you can love God better and rekindle that fire that you had at the beginning. But tonight we just simply don't have enough time. So what I want to do is this last part um, is look at the three barriers. Because I, I think it's obvious that a lot of us um, aren't maybe as motivated as we should be in making disciples. And, and I put myself right smack in the middle of that category. And one of the, bi the biggest reasons is that we're too busy. That's a barrier for a lot of us. And I know a lot of you because I've spent a lot of time with you. I've been here for a year and a half, but I've spent a lot of time with a lot of you. And y'all are extremely busy, and I am extremely busy. And there's only so much we can do. We have our, our work and our friends and our small group and renovate and Sunday morning and visiting our family and traveling and our intramural league. I mean, it goes on and on and on. We're so busy, but the problem is that in verse 18... Um, actually, in verse 20, he says, all that I have commanded you. That this, this isn't a suggestion by Jesus. This is a command to go and make disciples. And in fact, if, if everyone in this room lets these barriers keep us from making disciples, then the mission of God stops, at least in our circles of influence. 
If all the Christians in the world let the barriers keep them from spreading the gospel, then the mission of God stops and we got serious problems because people are dying and going to hell. And so I always talk about you make time for what you value. You know, I, there's a lot of things I make time for because I really enjoy them. And so uh, Ari and I, have, my wife and I have started The Voices back. And I, we, we love watching The Voice. It's Monday and Tuesday nights. We love it. And so guess what? I was really busy before The Voice started, but somehow I found two hours to watch The Voice. The bottom line is because I want to. And so what we have to ask is not why are we too busy, but why don't we want to make disciples? Because we make time for what we value. So it's a command and um, we need to make time for it. And then the second barrier is we live in a relativistic culture. And there's a little quote that y'all probably all heard. Um, your truth and my truth may not be the same. You know, you have your truth and I have my truth. And I'm not going to impose my truth on you. And I don't want you to impose your truth on me. And we'll just be happy friends and all of that. And the problem is we, we're thinking in an either or scenario. We think that either I keep this friend and not tell him the truth, because if I tell him the truth, I'm going to lose him as a friend, or I'm going to tell him the truth and lose the friend. I don't know if I said that right. It's, it's from a book. <laughs> I think I, I hate those either ors because you can get lost in there really quick. It's a book called Crucial Conversations. And Entity says the reason we don't have crucial conversations is because we're afraid that if we speak the truth, we're going to lose that person as a friend. But he's saying that's, that's a false dichotomy. You can speak the truth to somebody and still keep them as a friend. But somewhere along the line we bought into, if I want this person to still like me, then I'm not going to tell them what I think is true. And so... Another interesting part of this passage is verse 18. He says, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth have been given to Jesus. Guess what? He is reigning as king over all the earth. Not just these little pockets of churches. And so we're ambassadors of Christ and we have the authority to speak truth into people's lives. And you know what? If we really love them, we'll do it despite what might happen. And so this whole thing about relative truth is a dangerous barrier that keeps the gospel from being spread. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me, the Bible says about Jesus. And so we have to, if we are professing followers of Christ, believe that and act on that and have those crucial conversations and not buy into the lie that if I speak truth, I'm going to lose him as a friend. Because if you do it with respect and love, I guarantee you they won't reject you as a friend a lot of times it's how we do it and we do it in a disrespectful way and we do it and we caricature their position and we don't respect their position and that's why we lose a friend it's not because we're speaking the truth and finally the biggest barrier of all we did a survey in the gathering uh, last year the number one people don't share their faith is what fear they're scared to death to share their faith Fear of rejection, fear of embarrassment, fear of ruining a friendship, fear of not knowing what to say. But we have to obey in the midst of fear. And I, I just want to close with this um, illustration of that. When I was 19, I had one of the most darkest periods of my life that I've ever had. 
I had one of the best years of baseball that I ever had, and it was purely the grace of God because I was struggling with anxiety and depression so bad that it was hard for me to even get out of bed in the morning and go to practice or go to school. And I would drag myself to practice and drag myself to the games, and somehow I would play well. But I'm telling you, every game I said, Lord, if you do not help me, I can't do this because I want to go back to my room. I didn't know why it was happening. It scared me to death. I thought I, thought I was going crazy. It, it was the darkest time in my life, and I was so overwhelmed with fear because I didn't understand what was going on inside of me. This anxiety was paralyzing. And then my assistant coach came to me and said, Hey, I've got a great op-. Nobody else knew. I didn't tell anybody, which was a prideful, bad mistake. But nobody knew. And so my assistant coach came to me and said, You know what? I, I know you're, you're a believer. I think this would be an amazing opportunity for you. There's a ministry called Athletes in Action, and they're having an eight-week mission trip in Nicaragua and Mexico this summer, and they're going to play baseball in all these little villages and towns, and you get to play baseball, and you get to share the gospel. I think God wants you to go on this trip, something like that. And I was horrified. <laughs> I, I was like, there is no way. I'm, I've, I'd never been overseas. You know, I'd never been on a mission trip. And the thought of it just scared me to death. I, I had a hard time going a block away from my apartment to the baseball field. But I said, you know what, I'm going to pray about this. And I just said, you know what, forget it. I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to fill out all the paperwork, raise the money. And God, I, I don't know why I'm doing this, but, but you must be in this. I'm going. And, um, and so that was early in the, in the spring. So played the season and then the day was approaching, you know, I'm going to get my passport picture and all this. And I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is, this is crazy. And, uh, and so I went on this trip and it was one of the most, it was the, one of the scariest things I've ever done because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what God was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to respond to being that far out of my comfort zone when I was struggling with something really serious that I hadn't really dealt with. Um, but I stepped out in faith and I went. And I remember the first time I, I'd ever shared my testimony was on that trip after a baseball game. We played this local all-star team with like 50-year-old men and 12-year-old boys in baseball uniforms. And there was like animals running across the field during the game. It was crazy. And people were like on the field during the game and it was really hot. I was really getting claustrophobic. It was so, people were just all over me. And it was my turn that day to share my testimony. And so I shared my testimony and there was probably 400 people there. And it was one of the most amazing things I've done. And they gave me a gift. It was just this picture. I wish I, I couldn't find it. I wanted to bring it. But out of string, they made this boat. I mean, it really didn't mean any. I don't know what they were communicating with the picture, but it was just a boat. But the fact that they pulled me aside and gave it to me and just were hugging me and they were speaking in Spanish. I didn't know what they were saying, but they seemed happy. And uh, they gave me something, so it must have gone somewhat well. And it, and it really it was life-changing. And I've, I've had that picture up on, in, in, on my wall for years and years until we moved into this new uh, apartment, and I'd, I couldn't find it. But it, it was such an amazing experience. And there were so many barriers that, that the enemy was trying to keep me from stepping out and going. 
And I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to let fear keep me from being obedient to what God's calling me to do. And he changed my life. And there was a girl in, in, in our ministry that went to Belize this year who is one of the most quietest girls I've ever met. In fact, I've never heard her say a word. And she was wrestling with whether I should go or not. And she went on this trip and she ended up being one of the most, she was like the MVP of the trip. She was sharing her testimony and it like connected with all the kids. They were crying. And then I asked her to come back and share her testimony with our staff of 70 or 80 people. And she got up in front of people and shared it and did an amazing job. And, and she was so afraid to go, but she went and she came back a different person. And I think God's calling all of us in here who profess to be followers of Christ to not let these barriers, which are real, keep us from doing what God has called us to do, and that's to make disciples. You want to know how God's renovating the world? He's doing it through ordinary people like you and me. So let's, let's go, let's share, and let's teach people to obey and when I mean obey, I mean love God and love your neighbor and see what God does. Let's pray together. Father God, I, th I thank you that you love to choose ordinary, average, fearful, scared, broken, sinful people to accomplish your mission when you didn't have to do that. What a, what a great privilege to share with you in your grand mission, which you had planned before the foundation of the world, which is to take people from every tribe and tongue and nation across the world and bring them into your kingdom and change their hearts and their minds and give them new life and give them a, a, a renovated life that they might experience joy and peace and fellowship with your people. Thank you for giving this, us that opportunity and Lord, give us the strength. The passage ends with you are with us till the end of the age. We're not doing this alone. You are with us and you empower us. Lord, help us to be effective disciple makers. To your glory and praise in Jesus' name, amen.